apparently we were uh we were pronouncing it uh wrong the whole time i think you know myself i usually would, would pronounce it toronto but i think maybe i was just trying to intonate it you know toronto oh, yeah. <laughs> toronto Look it's like you don't say toronto. calgary <laughs> that's true alberta edmonton it's edmonton uh, edmonton yeah. toronto edmonton. calgary uh, Hi, you're listening to the Just Some Musings podcast with Justin Lee and Marcus Muse. We are two advisors with CG Wealth Management in Alberta who finish off our weeks connecting over Zoom to discuss the week that was. So what's on the agenda this week, Justin? So having just coming back from my trip uh, from the United States and, and partially to Mexico, uh, we alluded to, to last week a, a little about foreign exchange. So I want to talk a little bit more about, about that and whether Canadian investors should uh, consider hedging or unhedging. Uh, their investments and as well uh, my understanding is that there was some viral news that happened uh, with in regards to a person who moved from Toronto to uh, to Alberta so uh, I think we're gonna touch a little bit about that as well sounds good let's uh, let's have at it all right so uh, welcome back Justin uh, here you just got back you. from your trip uh, just last night right Late last night, very late last night, and uh, so I'm a little. Uh, the family is a little under the weather. I'm I'm holding out well, uh, but uh, um, as I told my son, you can't leave until you come back home. <laughs> you can't leave again <laughs> until you come back home. So, uh, but we're looking for the holidays and 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 whatnot. So yes, thank you for uh, thanks for the thoughts. Yeah. So you were just telling me a uh, trip down to uh, to Legoland in San Diego and a Disney cruise. I always wonder about those Disney cruises. My uh, my niece and nephew were on, on one earlier this year, and they really loved it. Were, were you on that ship that has the Star Wars? No, no. So um, high level, yes. Yeah. So this was sort of like our family vacation, uh, first ever family vacation before actual Christmas break. Uh, so a little bit more affordable. And um, a couple of days in San Diego, yes. Yeah. So Legoland, kids love that. Cool. Uh, no lineups as well. So we didn't have to buy like a priority pass or anything of that nature. And then um, a four nights Disney cruise going out of San Diego to Cabo and then back up again. And uh, talking to a lot of the other uh, family or some of the other families that we met uh, on a very full boat was that um, a cruise like that becomes quite uh, attractive relative to actually going to Disneyland or certainly Disney World. Uh, so it's, it's, it's certainly a, a, a relevant uh, vacationing option or a leisure, a leisure time activity, uh, particularly for those who uh, are in like Southern California or maybe even uh, Florida who are close by the ports, maybe in somebody who's in Vancouver as well. But uh, yes, um, really, really, uh, really nice to, to, to be out there. Disney knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, one one quick comment: There was a shopping ambassador on the uh, on the cruise because you're in international waters; you can buy stuff duty free. So there's a little pitch. But what they talk about is branding and and branding and and why you chose the people on the board chose the Disney cruise, for example. And I think um, branding is something that, uh, as you call one of those economic moats or one of those business moats that people seem to uh, talk about a lot. And and I certainly saw it in person, uh, going having experience at Disney. Uh, product for the first time uh, really uh, with uh, with with children so uh, it was uh, it was an eye-opening experience in some ways but Mickey knows what he's doing yeah for sure well, they've got so many so many cool IPs you can like they can use them all uh, I know there's one I think one of the newer ships has some kind of a Star Wars experience on it and of course I know like all of them have 
all the all the characters, all the references to the movies. I'm sure there's some. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and the, the you talk about IP, their IPs, their 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 suite is so large. It's not just Mickey, uh, yeah. and and uh, Frozen and whatnot. It, it's it's Star Wars, it's uh, Marvel Universe, and it's all the iterations uh, of those, right? And, uh, and now the Fox uh, stuff too. Was there any Simpsons thing exactly. stuff on there as well? Or? No, but uh, online, uh, like on the TV channel, if you were to flip around, uh, they yeah. certainly had some Disney channels. They had some Fox channels and ESPN. So all their their whole suite of uh, of, of products, right? So. Uh, again, they. I wouldn't be surprised at some point in the future because it was in in December. They called it a maritime themed holiday, mm-hmm. or a cruise, I should say, reflecting the holidays. And uh, at some point, I'm sure if they haven't already, uh, they'll probably do Star Wars themed cruises or uh, MCU themed cruises. And and they continue to uh, milk their uh, their library uh, for all of that it's worth. So, again, kudos to Mickey. Cool. Yeah. 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 One thing we were, uh, we started to talk about last week. I thought we'd uh, spend a bit more time on it this week, especially yourself having just come back from your, your cruise. We were talking about FX, uh, foreign exchange and, uh, and the effects on investments. And I think where we left off the conversation, I just wanted to touch base on this, uh, had to do with um, hedging your investments. So hedging to the U S dollar, for example, if you're Canadian investing in U S stocks. So just to clarify what that means, uh, I know last week you, you mentioned some numbers. Uh, those numbers, again, I think were, I think now we can say minus 16% if you were invested in U.S. stocks in U.S. dollars. Rather, if you're an American investor who was invested in the S&P 500, you're down about 16% for the year. Or if you're a Canadian investor who bought a hedged product, where it's hedged to the U.S. dollar, you're down about 16%. Unhedged. But- Oh, yes, sorry. Yeah, hedge to the US dollar. Correct. That's the yes. confusing thing. Eh? If it's hedge. That's right. That's right. <laughs> if it's unhedged, then we are get, we are adding an extra level of risk ourselves. We're exposing ourselves to the currency movements, uh, which were favorable this year because the Canadian dollar went down relative to the US dollar. So while the US markets were down 16% or so, the Canadian dollar also was down. I think I haven't looked at it recently, maybe down 10% or so. And thus, the, uh, the the value to us Canadians is that the U.S. investments actually, rather, it counteracted the decline. So instead of having a 16% decline, we have a, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's high single digits. That number is constantly changing. Um, as we're recording, we're a few minutes from the market close on Friday. And of course, I don't know if we want to talk about this week at all. <laughs> Yeah, maybe one way to even look at it. So um, I think I might have mentioned the 10-year number. So rather than the year-to-date, because they reflect what you said. Uh, but like say, if you were to choose uh, the S&P 500, uh, an index or an ETF uh, that was uh, hedged to the U.S. dollar, then your annualized return over the last decade would have been just over 12% a year. Great number, double-digit sort of idea. But if you chose an unhedged product that exposed your investments to the uh, variations of the FX, FX market, or particularly uh, the US dollar, you would have been up over 16% per year over the last decade. So yeah. you talked about, you know, whatever happens day to day, but on a long-term track record, um, as Warren Buffett says, uh, it, it's hard to bet against the United States. Uh, they've been the largest economy, the largest economic driver uh, uh, in the world. Uh, they will likely continue to be so for the, uh, for the foreseeable future. And so that is a, a consideration for uh, Canadian investors to have. And, you know, we, we, we mainly focus our, our conversations to the United States just because, you know, they're right next door. They're our largest trading partner uh, as well. They are the, you know, you know, 68% of sort of the world's investable market. Um, you know, this number you often hear is that Canada is 
you know, three to 4% uh, of the, of the entire world. So why limit yourself to a very small pool uh, when you have the ocean ahead of you in front of you or a lot, lar much larger lake in front of you um, and uh, have yourself, you know, exposed to, uh, companies or, or investments that are, are much broader than what are typically found in, in Canadian names. So, you know, a couple of things, you know, having traveled and Jeff mentioned, cause he was in Mexico himself recently with his family, but um, you know, I spent uh, most of my time again in San Diego on a boat, half a day in, in Cabo, uh, but wherever you go, I mean, this thing, this piece of paper means a lot to the rest of the world. It doesn't matter what country you go to, they will accept this thing. They will not the records accept, show that uh, uh, Justin is holding up a $1 U.S. bill. Yeah, uh, we got a George Washington here, <laughs> and I do not have a, a Canadian loonie, uh, but uh, they don't accept coins, or they don't accept, you know, Canadian dollars, even you know, walk through the airport, you know, the exchange rates are terrible you know, if you're trying to exchange it anywhere. Uh, but so for most Canadian travels, when they go abroad, they will typically uh, hold U.S. dollars for exchange. You know, back in the day, U.S. dollar traveler checks, or even now, um, out of their, um, you know, they get their FX applied on their credit cards if they with, withdraw it that way, uh, or their their debit cards. But the U.S. dollar kind of reigns supreme still. And so, this, so let's let's uh, let's yeah, talk about that as a traveler to the U.S. What's the best yeah. way to go about doing that? So you have okay. obviously your money, your wealth is in Canadian yes. dollars mostly. You're traveling to the U.S. Mostly, yeah. So I so yeah, I mean, this is this is the challenge. I go to Belize every year, and they use U.S. dollars there, and um, you know, what, what do you do? Do you, do you, do you get a bunch of cash? Do you get traveler's checks? Do those still exist? <laughs> or uh, do you use your credit card there all the time? Do you go to a bank machine and withdraw money there? What do you do? I, I want to know what you do. So what I do is um, I have um, a credit card that has no foreign exchange fees. And so at least at minimum, if I were to buy something on that credit card, uh, I'll get the, what they call at least the, the more true representative FX rate between uh, they say the U.S. dollar and the Canadian dollar, and they don't. Then, then the credit card company or the bank will not ding me an extra three uh, percent for the pleasure or the honor of uh, of transferring money. Another way of doing it is potentially uh, doing kind of a, a large lump uh, sum withdrawal from an ATM mm -hmm. uh, in order to kind of minimize that service charge, and then just you know have that money uh, get charged to your uh, your your checking account. Uh, that would be another way some people look at it. There's some third party. Um, I, in my experience, I found that the third party uh, currency uh, uh, exchangers uh, in Canada, in Calgary, in Edmonton, um, usually have better rates than what's posted at the large uh, large banks. Definitely. And so that can be a viable opportunity uh, or option for, for folks as well. I've used the, that uh, in the past. And uh, other times people will try to, you know, time the market. And so like, you know, oh, the Canadian dollar is 74 cents today or 76 cents. It's better than it was at 71. So let's buy a few Canadian American dollars at that time. And but then that causes a lot more headaches because you're following the uh, the FX market uh, and which, you know, has its own idiosyncrasies. But uh, how about yourself? Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background on this because I have some experience working at a major bank. There mm -hmm. is there is no one exchange rate. Everyone knows that. Obviously, if you exchange a, a million dollars, you're getting a better rate than if you're exchanging a thousand dollars. But there's also sure. a differentiation every time you're going into a bank branch, whether you are doing your conversion into U.S. cash. So, for example, you have a Canadian dollar bank account. You're asking them at the bank for U.S. cash. You're getting the absolute worst exchange rate. Typically, the, there's <laughs> like they, they have these bid ask numbers. I, I always look, I looked at the, the numbers back in my day. Anyways, typically, if you're getting cash, a smaller amount. You were losing about 3% about to commission. 
Mm -hmm. That's 3% relative to the spot rate. So this is an important thing to know. Whenever you see the, the exchange rates, you know, on, on TV at night, they're saying the Canadian dollars at 75 cents or whatever. That's the spot rate. It's technically nobody exchanges at the spot rate because even on bigger numbers, there's bids, there's asks. People bid a certain rate to buy the US dollar or they ask a certain rate to convert US dollar to Canadian dollar. So there's always a bit of a spread. So again, biggest spread when you're getting cash, there's they're usually for small non-cash transactions. So let's say you have a Canadian dollar bank account and a US dollar bank account. You were usually losing about two to two and a half percent. Don't quote me on these numbers because they might've changed over the years. What I do know though, is on credit cards, they're pretty transparent on it. Uh, credit cards mm -hmm. historically used to be typically two and a half percent. Each credit card company has its own uh, spot rates and they actually typically are very, very similar. Like I've compared my visa to my Amex exchange rates on the same day. They're almost identical, but mm -hmm. on most credit cards, they charge a two and a half percent. Um, that, that is what it traditionally used yep. to be. Nowadays, a lot of the major banks, they up that to three and a half percent. So typically you're using a regular bank visa card or whatever, um, unless it specifically is, uh, is advertised as no FX, no, no FX charges. It is costing you three and a half percent every time you're using that card in a restaurant somewhere else in the world. Um, there are, as we, as we mentioned, there are some credit cards out there that, um, that, that do, waive that essentially you don't get any points or cash back but you uh you don't have to pay that fx charge uh they basically give you that mm -hmm. that spot rate uh, every time yep mm -hmm. um, now with that said uh it would be wonderful if wherever you travel you can just use your credit cards everywhere but we know that's not always uh as easy especially in other countries uh, yes. try going to to jordan i was in jordan a couple of years ago and uh, there, even if a restaurant had the visa sticker on the outside on their door saying they advertise or the, basically advertising they accept visa mastercard in the restaurant, they're like, no, <laughs> no, and then they pretend they don't speak any English. Um, There's a lot I was of in Austria on the, the same trip, sure. and in Austria, Austria is well known, especially around the Vienna area, and and they're they're proud of this. So I'm not nothing against them. They're very well known to have the the worst service in restaurants, <laughs> and this is like this is what they're renowned for. You go to, you go to an Austrian restaurant, basically yeah. uh, expect to be treated not so great. So there, yeah, I remember asking, uh, do you take visa? Um, and the guy was like, I, I was dead to him. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of places you go, you have to have cash. And then it's a question of how do you get cash? Do you go to the bank machine and take it out? Your yes. bank's going to charge you that non-cash transaction fee, probably. At least you can always expect you're going to lose 2 to 3%. I Going back to what I do, when I go to Belize, I always take uh, plenty of cash. Uh, U.S. cash works really well in that country. They, that's that's what they want everywhere. Of course. And also, yeah, if you're going to Europe or anywhere else, even um, I, I remember going to, <clears throat> I mean, Jordan took U.S. cash in most places, U.S. cash or euros. So sometimes you just got to bring a lot of cash or whatever currencies you're going, you're you're needing. And then otherwise, uh, yeah, you expect to lose something on your on your exchange for that convenience. I think one one sort of roundabout way that I I, I, I try to avoid uh, the FX as well is that, and I've had a, a few clients uh, um, set up in the same way, is that I think uh, some people may not be fully aware that you can have uh, your RRSP or your TFSA uh, yeah. or uh, 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 I guess uh, denominated in US dollars uh, particularly. And um, so aside from the RSP, but thinking about particularly about a TFSA, you can hold within that TFSA 
uh, investments, whether American-based uh, or even Canadian-based. There's quite a number of Canadian-based companies that pay in U.S. dollars their dividends or their distributions, really? primarily because you know most of their operations uh, tend to be in that country, and they may very well just report also in U.S. dollars. So they're not going to convert their distributions to Canadian dollars to pay Canadian shareholders. They're just going to pay it out in USD uh, to make everything uh, simplified. So and that's something what, to be aware of as are, well yeah. on your investment account. If your investment account's in Canadian dollars and you own a U.S. investments, you're also losing a little bit on the exchange there. Now, typically, uh, most brokerages, whether it's at the bank or whether it's someone like us, usually because we're not mm-hmm. in the business of converting people, you know, giving people U.S. cash or converting money for people, it's more of a, more to facilitate the uh, the account so that if you have a U.S. dollar investment, you get your your dividends in, in Canadian dollars if it's a Canadian dollar account. But uh, it's just something to be aware of. You might lose something on your dividends if you are collecting dividends in U.S. dollars in a Canadian dollar account or you're trading U.S. stocks in a Canadian dollar RSP, for example. Um, there, yeah, there's a little bit of friction lost uh, with every buy and sell potentially. But obviously, yeah, uh, with, when you're uh, doing it. So maybe if you do like holding uh, U.S. denominated investments, for, for example, uh, then it may be uh, a very good idea to hold hold a partner account or, or a, a, a separate account that also uh, is, again, held, that holds only uh, U.S. dollars. So to go back to that TFSA uh, com, um, situation that I was uh, mentioning before, is that you can hold an investment that pays distributions or dividends in U.S. dollars, and then you get U.S. dollars in that account. And then if you link it up to uh, a bank account that is a U.S. dollar account, then you can actually withdraw U.S. dollars. Uh, and, we, you know, Canaccord or CG will also issue checks in, in USD as well. You just need to find a place to deposit it or, or to cash it in afterwards, right? But um, uh, there, there, that's one way of looking at it. So maybe hold U.S. dollar investments, pays U.S. dollar distributions, keep it in U.S. dollars, then withdraw that money. And then when you go to another country, whether it's Belize or Mexico or even the United States themselves, right? Um, you can you have U.S. dollar cash ready to go to be utilized uh, without again having to worry about uh, the FX uh, uh, all the time. So yeah. then you're not necessarily worried about oh I'm paying a seventy six cent, uh, you know, uh, dollar or paying for you know dollar forty as opposed to a dollar twenty Canadian for or every greenback. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've always done to it at the bank. I've I've <clears> always had a U.S. dollar account. It's funny, back when I actually lived in the U.S., well, I had an account in the U.S., but I did a lot of just clueless depositing U.S. cash in my Canadian dollar bank account or asking for U.S. cash, mm-hmm. not knowing how much I was losing each time. But since then, since you know working at the bank, um, I've always had a U.S. dollar account where you know, if I want U.S. cash, I literally went to the bank today to get some U.S. cash, as I just showed you. Um, that came out of my U.S. dollar account. It's been sitting in there for years. Um, I've got a decent supply. If I run out, I convert some more. I do one lump sum conversion. Uh, so we're not mm-hmm. doing like $100 here, $100 there. We're doing a couple thousand dollars at a time. And I just keep that stock. So it's good to have a U.S. dollar account. And most banks, if you're on one of the uh, higher level accounts, um, my particular bank, I don't want to advertise for them or anything, but I keep a balance over 5000 in the main checking account that waives the fees on there. And that account gives me the benefit of a U.S. dollar account for for free. Um, And Mm -hmm. such banks also usually offer a U.S. dollar visa. So that's another way to go about if you're if you're, you know, going all over the world and you want to avoid currency exchange, have a U.S. dollar visa, pay your your bill, pay your visa bill with your U.S. dollar bank account. And then you're avoiding those exchanges if, if you use a lot of U.S. dollars. Or as we mentioned, there are several banks. You just have to look for them. And again, I'm not going to advertise for them. 
uh, that offer Visa or Visa credit cards, Mastercard, Amex, uh, with no uh, with no uh, currency exchange. So I think it's uh, naturally for us Canadians, we we tend to again focus on the discrepancy of the differences between Canada and the United States. Mm-hmm. Of course, the same situation comes up with Canada and Europe or Canada and Asia, right? So whether it's the yen or the euro, right? Uh, this, you know, similar situations uh, do come up. Um, but there, you know, depending on 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 the situation, how often you may or may not. Uh, require foreign currencies, or you like to invest uh, in more international names, then there are uh, ways to uh, minimize the drag, as they say, that uh, foreign exchange uh, does uh, does uh, bring up uh, with every sort of transaction. Yeah, let's let's bring this back to investing. I just brought up on yeah. the screen, and I'll share this on our podcast page. <clears throat> By the way, those of you who've been listening for the past couple of weeks have always heard me say I'm going to share this on our podcast page. That podcast mm-hmm. page was still a work in progress and it's just now getting completed. So I guarantee by the time you listen to this, there will be graphs and links on that page. Um, but anyways, we're looking at a graph right now here, chart of a couple of uh, S&P 500 ETFs. Uh, one is hedged, one is not hedged. So again, we we generally advise people to be invested around the world. You definitely don't want to be just invested in Canada. That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's what we call home country bias. Um, mm-hmm. so if you want to be invested in the other 97% of the world markets, and certainly probably more than 97% of the world economy, uh, you need to have exposure to these investments around the world. So question now is, do you hedge or do you not hedge? Do you want to remove that? Maybe you consider it an extra level of risk, the, uh, the currency exchange risk and have everything hedged so that, you know, if the S&P 500 is up 10%, you get 10% in Canadian dollars no matter what the Canadian dollar does, or do we go unhedged? I have some thoughts on this, but, uh, but Justin, why don't you, uh, why don't you start out with your, with your thoughts? Yeah. My question. I know. Yeah. And again, everyone has their, has their personal uh, situations to deal with. Uh, I would say for, for myself, uh, I, I go unhedged. Um, I want to be exposed. Uh, I want to be exposed to the, to the broad uh, United States market. uh, And that includes FX and then also uh, internationally as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot so, of things. I mean, you can look at it in, in, in one way or the other. But if I want a real diversification, I also want to diverse away, diversify away from 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 the loony. And and so that's probably the easiest way for me to rationalize it is that I want real diversification uh, inclusive of uh, the uh, the weight and the backing and the uh, and the always ongoing pervasive uh, interest and preference of the U.S. dollar across the world. Uh, as opposed to the Canadian dollar. Yeah, so so my thoughts on this fairly similar. Um, when I first started in the industry about 2007, 2008, I don't think there were a lot of currency hedged investments out there, currency hedged funds or whatever. I think they just started to become big around that time. And the reason back then, if you recall, if you were investing back in 2000, I know Justin, you and I, we probably were just getting out of college, so we didn't have a lot of money to invest yet. But if you were hmm. investing in U.S. stocks back in the 2000s, any time of the 2000s, or really global stocks, you did not have a good time. So not only was the, was the S&P 500 not doing so well over those years, it was up a little bit, didn't do great. But the Canadian dollar just soared. You know, it was, so I graduated in 2004, and I remember early 2004, we were still at about a 65 cent dollar. Uh, by the time yes. 2008 came around the Canadian dollar was worth more than the US dollar so and this is something I keep in mind if you're investing globally you don't want the Canadian dollar to go up a bunch versus the other currencies and that's what mm-hmm. happened I think a lot of uh, I think fund companies at that time said okay let's uh, let's put out more uh, currency hedged versions of our funds 
That way, the uh, the investor doesn't feel that pain and can still invest globally without worrying about is the Canadian dollar going to get stronger. The stupid thing, though, is a lot of those came out right when the dollar was at parity. So a little bit too late, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so now, you know, if let's say the dollar, let, let's say the, do- the dollar goes down to, I mean, right now it's in the, is it the low 70s again? I haven't checked yet today. But uh, right now we're probably kind of halfway between its strongest years and its weakest years is now a good time to go hedged or not. My thoughts on this are the U.S. dollar, if you're investing in U.S. equities, the U.S. dollar typically is a risk off currency. So that means anytime the world markets are kind of having their little panic and everyone's moving out of stocks into safety, Mm -hmm. the safety they usually move to, it's not gold, it's not Bitcoin, it's the U.S. dollar, it's treasury bills, treasury bonds, and so forth. And every time it happens... So again, going back to 2008, the uh, the Canadian dollar was at like a buck ten US. So think about that: a buck ten US to buy one Canadian dollar. Man, our vacations were cheap back then. But uh, <laughs> so so we went from like a buck something to uh, I think eighty cents thereabouts in uh, the depths of the Great Financial Crisis, as the world you know ran out of stocks, ran into T bills. The US dollar went up. So what that meant for a Canadian investor, at that time, the S&P 500 was down about 55% from its high point to its low point. So from about late October 2007 to uh, beginning of uh, March 2009, 55% drop. But if you were a Canadian investor, you only saw about a 35% drop because you had that currency exposure being exposed to this really Mm -hmm. strong risk-off currency. So for Canadian investors investing in the US, I think that being unhedged, just to clarify, which means giving mm-hmm. yourself the exposure to the U.S. dollar is the better way to go. If things go great for stocks and great for Canada and the economy and everything, then your you know your U.S. stocks will go up. You'll lose a bit due to the Canadian dollar getting stronger. But were you? I think it's almost like a bonus risk management tool. Having that strong U.S. dollar offset your losses um, is a good thing. So now internationally, it's a bit different because the international markets, the uh, the euro is kind of a risk on currency, I guess, which means when the markets are selling off, typically the euro goes down. The yen is a bit different. The yen typically goes up versus the rest of the world. Um, Another gets, safe haven. Yep. Yeah. Now, I imagine it must be a real hard time for U.S. investors to invest in the rest of the world. And they say that U.S. investors have some pretty strong home country bias as well. Probably worse than us. Well, I would say so. Imagine you're a U.S. investor this year with the U.S. dollar. And we've seen, uh, I'll put a chart up of the DXY, which is the currency. uh, Well, basically, it's a a measure of the U.S. dollar versus all other currencies. Uh, The U.S. dollar has been very strong this year. So if you look at the world markets and the world markets having been down this year, plus having the U.S. dollar go up so much, uh, you got a double whammy if you were a U.S. investor. So imagine for them, it's very important to have uh, uh, the currency hedge on their foreign investments. But again, for us, I think it's best to just stay unhedged. Usually you're saving a bit in costs as well, because the funds themselves have to do some option plays in there. But uh, yeah, someone's hedging. Someone has to make the hedge, whether it's you yourself or a portfolio manager in a fund. Uh, and so those things, um, those transactions and, and those overlays, uh, those layers uh, cost in some form. That's right. So yeah, anyways, um, this, one thing this I would chart, add, just want to touch on this chart before I put it away. Uh, it shows, uh, and this is a period of time when the Canadian dollar went down relatively to the US dollar from 20, it's the last five years. The so the the U.S. markets in uh, 
hedged to Canada, or roughly what the U.S. markets did in U.S. dollars, up about 200% over that time period. Because our Canadian dollar went down, we saw a 345% increase in that time period. But anyways. So again, over time, um, yeah, the, the strength of the U.S. dollar over the last little while has, has, has shown it. Um, you know, it's similar, no, like not to say that Kaluni is, is a terrible currency. I mean, when we use it, we like using it. We have to use it. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, compared to the rest of the world, yes, we went down against the U.S. dollar, the Canadian dollar. The Canadian dollar went down versus the U.S. dollar. But relative to a lot of the other, most of the other major currencies in the world, it actually went up. So even though we went down versus the United States, you know, being very myopic in that sense, North America outperformed. Uh, on, on their our dollars, uh, both of them went up versus the Japanese yen, the euro, the British pound, and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, if you were to travel to Europe, even as a Canadian, you are getting a better rate than you did last year. Um, maybe not as strong mm -hmm. as an American tourist, but certainly better than you did because Canada as a whole is sort of lumped in together with that North America complex. And uh, we did do uh, relatively well against those areas. You know, and then, you know, one one other kind of comment is, you know, for me, myself, you know, having worked in the energy in energy industry in Canada, sort of being very based off of commodities, you know, there was a comment that, in the, you know, an observation that the Canadian dollars basically was considered a, a petrol currency. And, and to kind of further diversify away from the local economy, the local Alberta industries, um, I think that's another reason to consideration to uh, minimize uh, that, that, you know, move away a little bit from the Canadian dollar, um, i.e. the, you know, the price of WTI, because um, they sort of are very correlated. And then, you know, bring in some more exposure. So I use that as another way to kind of diversify away from the local economy without necessarily, you know, betting against Canada or Alberta, right? Just, I'd, I'd know, rather have some stuff that away from the petrocurrency uh, history. You and, I, you and I, we preach uh, diversification all the time, but, you know, most of the time diversification uh, kind of kicks you in the butt. Uh, if, you're, if you're an investor in Calgary back in 2008, yeah. you uh, did really well if you were completely undiversified and you only had, uh, you know, your your Canadian bank, your Canadian, uh, well, bank stocks, as well as energy stocks, mostly energy stocks, you did really well, plus your house kept going up in value, Canadian dollar was strong. So if you diversified and took half of that and invested in global invest global stocks, you did yourself a disservice over that time period, but it's over the very longer term that uh, diversification makes sense. Obviously, we've seen since mm -hmm. then, uh, our real estate values in, in, uh, in Alberta have gone down mostly. Uh, <clears throat> currency has gone down oil has had some real tough times a few years ago at least um so yeah but diversify so anyways last topic for today um this kind of uh this happened to come out again i talk about our, our podcast being on a bit of a delay our episode two came out uh last week i guess and almost on cue almost the next day or the next couple of days after justin went to, on vacation this story comes out. So just to backtrack a little bit, in our episode two, we talked about uh, Justin's experiences in Toronto, sorry, Toronto, and uh, we, Toronto. We, got call, we got called on that. It's Toronto, right? Not Toronto. <laughs> Calgary, I, uh... Calgary. <laughs> Anyways, um, based on his experiences there, uh, you know, talking about people moving from Toronto, the Toronto area to uh, to Alberta and the benefits and all that. Literally almost the next day, this article comes out, which went really viral while you were on vacation, Justin. Um, it, it has all, all Albertans of all political stripes united against this lady. 
this uh, this lady, this young lady from Mississauga moved it to Edmonton, um, bought a house. Uh, the article said that she moved somewhere 30 minutes south of, of downtown. So everyone assumed that she lived, she moved to Leduc and, uh, or Millet or something like that. And, uh, and she complained that there was not enough of a, of a, of a nightlife. There was not enough of a dating scene and all this stuff. And it was a boring place to live and it was completely, um, it unimpressed her. And, uh, she had, you know, she couldn't really find a professional job or something. And she moved back to Mississauga. Um, so anyways, everyone, uh, everyone in, uh, in Edmonton or a Cal maybe in Calgary too, but in Edmonton, mostly we've been roasting her. Uh, turns out she didn't move to Leduc. She moved to Windermere, which is actually where I used to live. Uh, which is a nice neighborhood, but I can totally understand where she's coming from with, with her opinions of it. But uh, anyways, everyone's kind of roasting her on this. Uh, she was on uh, some news show the other day too, kind of defending her position. Uh, have you heard any of this yet, Justin, since coming back from your trip? Not really. No, um, I'm, it might've been a good idea to, to be in the middle of the ocean when that happened. I, I, I commend her for trying uh, to attempt. Um, obviously there's been this campaign that the province has had in order to try to uh, entice uh, particularly younger people to move to Alberta and they talk about housing affordability and lifestyle and whatnot uh, they're always going to there's going to be some people who caught on to that and there's going to be people some people who try it out and, and find it's not for them uh, moving from I suspect from the core downtown GTA lifestyle to uh, the suburbs of Edmonton south of the Hende are is probably mm -hmm. not an equal uh, switch so there's going to be obviously adjustments uh, to that but again, I commend people for trying that. But roasting her for for that, <laughs> I think, is a little bit short-sighted because if we're even going to try to entice or show that, hey, we are welcoming and this lifestyle is good, why not try to promote, you know, let's Absolutely. You know, promote the good stuff, right? Rather than just say, like, oh, yeah, she had a, you know, you know who's this person, whoever she is, and, 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 and trying it out, right? But you know what? At least she tried it out. You know, the more you push back you have against that, I think the harder it's going to be to uh, to attract other people to come in uh, or even try moving. Right? And it so, was it was yeah, expensive it, for her to try it, it out. She bought a house though. for yeah. She said she bought a house for over four hundred thousand dollars. So okay, getting getting back to this, like I, I I would go as far as to defend her position. Having lived yeah. near Windermere, I lived just across the highway in Haddo for thirteen years or so. Okay. Um, yep. It's not a, like, as far as the neighborhood goes, people were saying, oh yeah, Windermere is great. You know, there's, there's restaurants there, there's bars, but it's one of those neighborhoods where, you know, most of the population is sort of, um, of a certain, well, mostly probably elder millennial and older people with families move out there. It's really a bedroom community, you know, as they say. Going from a condo from downtown Toronto again, is and, you know, it's not a like for like change. When I lived there, I lived there for my late 20s through my 30s. I there was times when I wanted to sell and move downtown because there really was no scene there. Um, yeah. And it's one of those neighborhoods, too, where most people don't really know their neighbors. Um, it, and I don't want to say anything bad. It's nice. It has a lot of great amenities. There are nice restaurants there. It's uh, it's mass affluent to high net worth. Uh, great part of the city to live. It's not great if you want to get downtown a lot. It's a long drive to downtown. It is at least 30 minutes, uh, probably an hour during rush hour. I ended up moving to Sherwood Park to another bedroom community, but I'm a little bit closer to downtown and closer to friends and family there, which is great. But um, I, I totally get her. Like she she said that she had visited Edmonton a number of times in the past for three days to seven okay. days at a time. And she liked okay. it. And that's what that's what influenced her decision because she probably visited some yeah. young friends and you know they went partying. It was you know it's great downtown. Sure. You know, we got the ice district and everything, it's it's awesome. But living out there, I can totally understand that that is 
That's not to the taste of someone in their early 30s. The other thing I was going to say too is, so putting her, putting myself in her shoes, now, now what I've understood from this article, she this is her third property or she owns three properties. So think about this as someone from Toronto in that age group versus someone from Edmonton in that age group. Someone in Toronto in that age group has seen appreciation in real estate. So for them to come to Edmonton and purchase a house for 400,000, it's like, wow, what a deal. Right. So you got the, I heard of, you, yeah. you got a couple of condos downtown in Toronto, or whatever. You've probably got hundreds of thousands of equity built up because you've seen the appreciation over the years. Um, yeah. This is nothing. Now, the typical Edmonton age, you know, Edmonton person aged like she is, I think it was, said she was 33, typically does not have the wherewithal to even buy a place in the suburbs, I think. Like they, they, they would typically live more downtown or, you know, still be renting or, or own, a, own a cheap condo. They wouldn't be living in one of these neighborhoods. Like even in a condo where I lived, there was a bit of a social scene. It was nice. I know if I lived on any of the streets around my condo building, I probably wouldn't have known my neighbors and there would have been no scene or anything. But um, I totally get where she's coming from. She kind of was a little bit misplaced on where she went. Um, she probably might have a better time if she did move somewhere, you know, more more urban in Edmonton. But um, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. a shame, you know, like we we talked up Alberta a lot. I think it's a great place. Uh, especially if you uh, if you do have a family and you've got a career, she did mention too that Alberta is great mm -hmm. for people who have trades. I guess you know, naturally, find a job in the oil yes. industry or whatever. Uh, probably her position it said yeah. professional. Maybe she was like in marketing or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, you know that's mm -hmm. more suitable for for Toronto or Vancouver. And uh, you know, read. again, I I think you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll have to go find and read it. But I mean when I was in Toronto and I asked relatives or I asked clients or I asked some yeah, younger folks what they thought about it. Uh, it is, it is difficult to move that many provinces away and, I wouldn't and, do it. and to change that lifestyle. You know what? I spent my twenties in Fort McMurray, right? In <laughs> hindsight, it was a great experience. It was, everything's cumulative and all of that. Um, but you actually, your average 20 year old or young 30 year old, whether you wanted to live in Fort McMurray uh, or downtown Toronto or even downtown Edmonton, uh, I think I have a pretty good guess where they would guess where, <laughs> where would they would choose. Uh, all things being equal. So um, we'll see. But they're trying to attract the economy. We want this economy locally to be vibrant. We want to be diversified. We talk about diversification ourselves. We talk it to our clients. Uh, the province and, and the local governments are trying to do the same thing. Uh, but then, you you know, you get these sort of, I guess, newsworthy items where it, it shows that it, it is it's going to be a hard slog. It's a hard change. Yeah. It's not going to be easy to to do it. And this is a sounds like a, a case in point. So I guess we'll see how it develops, but um, maybe we'll hear a, a success story or someone who thoroughly enjoys their their time here. No doubt they're trying to they're trying to find those people right now. Uh, well, to, there's, uh, there's been plenty of people. This, right? I, but, uh, I, I linked an article yeah. after our first okay. or second podcast where we talked about that. Uh, there there have been plenty of cases of people yeah. who had a you know a good a good upgrade in their life uh, their 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 lifestyle uh, moving from there from the big city to Edmonton. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, maybe Calgary was the place you should have moved to. <laughs> maybe there's more for a young person to do there. Uh, and there are more, there probably are more of those positions in terms of like, I know in Calgary, there's a pretty decently growing uh, wealth management scene for one. Um, mm -hmm. If you're looking to be someone marketing mutual funds, that's a place to be. Um, but other, other things too, but uh, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're diversifying and uh, we better diversify at least, in, you know, especially if there's another uh, crash in oil prices. So, yeah. I don't have to, right? So, yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. But uh, excellent. Anything else on top of your mind? I think that's uh, that's that's it for topics. Uh, I've got some stuff I'm going to talk about, about volatility. We'll leave that till next week. Yep. Um, or actually, what were we going to do? Um, 
it's uh, Christmas is coming up. Are we doing another recording next week? I think we can squeeze one in and then we'll probably be on hiatus until the new year. Right. But uh, even to touch base one, um, yeah. you know, I've, I've got more Christmas accessories to, uh, to, to wear. So uh, <laughs> okay, <give me> that. <laughs> I'm, I'm another... living in able if, if you are. Yeah. I have another Star Wars sweater to wear too. So, uh, so anyway, uh, closing off the show, uh, as always, as I mentioned, uh, we have a new, an actual podcast page. That's at nuhs.ca slash podcast. It should work now. And there should be links to all our previous episodes, as well as links to all the different players you can listen to the show on. And of course it is now, as far as I know, it is uh, readily available on Spotify, Google, Amazon, and Apple. I've I actually found branding. you can, That's right. You can look up the show on Amazon, just like as if you're looking for, uh, you know, looking up a book or something and you'll find the show there and you can listen on Audible or on Amazon Music. Now, I haven't been able to get uh, Alexa to play the show yet because I because when I ask her uh, play just some musings podcast, she she says uh, j- playing just some music. Uh, so that doesn't really work. I think we we picked the wrong name for the show. We should you know backtrack on that maybe. <laughs> we didn't incorporate Alexa and uh, in Siri into this, did we? No, I guess not. Oh well, oh, next well. time. Yeah. Excellent. Well. Have a great weekend, it's, uh, and for everybody else, uh, hope, hopefully your your holiday plans are, are going well, and uh, uh, you t- you uh, book off the appropriate uh, time for to be around uh, your friends and family after. Yeah, and stay warm. It's supposed to be a cold one. Well, by the time you re- you hear this, it'll be past. So, <laughs> all right, take care, everybody. All right, have a good weekend. Any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial circumstances, or general need of any individual organization or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.